Notre Dame found itself in a bowl game that the fan base was not excited about. It did not match the expectations the fans had going into this year. It did not match the expectations the players and coaching staff had for this year. And they had two choices. One, lay down and roll over. Or two, play mad and prove they didn't belong in this game. Thankfully, they opted for the latter. What does it mean? What does it not mean as we move forward? Let's talk about it. That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to the tent pitching capital of the world. (laughs) I'm so glad this game is over with. I'm just glad. There's nothing about it I liked. I'm glad it's over. It was a trap to begin with. I just, I'm so excited that it's just done. That being said, this is the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. As always, you can find me on YouTube by typing in Always Irish on Twitter. Type in Always Irish in the search bar. I will come right up or at JKZND4. Big Heads Media is responsible for the iTunes feed, Google Play, Stitcher. You can find us there. Like, subscribe, share, review, write mean comments. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. As always, support for the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel comes to you from Manscaped. Who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming? Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools to protect those family jewels. Fellas, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. How could this be, you inquire? Well, Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer is guaranteed to not torment your trouser toboggan this winter. But that's not all. Manscaped also has the crop preserver and anti-shaping deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, but why stop there? Always use the right tools for the job. Listen, fellas, You cannot go into the new year with an injured spear. So here's what I want you to do. Go to manscaped.com, enter promo code BIGHEADS. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping with your order. That's manscaped.com, promo code BIGHEADS, 20% off plus free shipping. So here's here's where I want to start, and I want to say this before I forget to, and we get my mind starts going down all these paths, and I don't mention this. So I'm going to do it right off the top, and I mean it sincerely. I want to thank all of the seniors and all the guys who may leave and go to the NFL uh, for all of their contributions to this team. Uh, while they didn't reach the pinnacle, they're pretty darn good. 
And it's my hope that the foundation these guys laid, things like not losing at home, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, while you didn't win a championship or a major bowl game, that stuff can build a foundation for these classes coming in in the future that are hopefully going to get us over that hump through the glass ceiling, whatever you want to call it. And so I really want to genuinely thank those guys for their time. It's not easy getting through the rigors of Notre Dame academically, all the responsibilities you have. I genuinely appreciate everything they've given this program. And it is my hope the greatest gift they can leave is that foundation that leads us to the next level in two, three, four years with all this talent coming in. So I want to thank those guys right off the top. And so when you when you look at this game, and I tweeted this shortly after it, and it's really simple to me, the absolute best part about this game was proving that Notre Dame had no business being in this game against this opponent. That's the absolute best part about this. That's the best thing this team could do, was show that it was pissed off that it went 10-2 and and ended up in this bowl game against this opponent when it realistically deserved much better than that, okay? And so that's the number one takeaway here. The I always talk about the number one thing I want. It's just like Lou Holtz in the locker room. What's most important to me is Notre Dame accumulating and having national respect. That is the number one most important thing to me, is having respect and credibility nationally. And I've said it before, when you're in this ball game against a five-loss team, it doesn't matter if you win 70 to nothing. You're not going to get a bunch of national respect and credibility out of that because it's a lower-level bowl game against a five-loss team. It doesn't matter if you think they should get more credit for it. I'm telling you what is, not what should be. Even if they win 70 to nothing with all the playoff games right behind our game that day, Notre Dame, it just wasn't possible in this matchup to gain credibility and respect. Not possible, not feasible, not realistic. So the next best thing you could do, and I took some heat for saying this, and I don't know why, but to me, this bowl game was more about embarrassment prevention than anything else. Because it's a lose-lose situation perceptually to most regular college football people. Notre Dame wins the game. Well, big deal. It's a five-loss team you're supposed to win. Okay? And if you lose it, we would have got mocked and ridiculed to no end. So in that circumstance, the absolute best thing this team could do is exactly what it did. Don't even give up a touchdown and beat the hell out of this team. What did this game end up looking like? I'll tell you what it ended up looking like. A 10-2 team playing a 7-5 team that it had no business playing. That's what this looked like. And so I, I don't, while the national respect angle is out, inside the Notre Dame circle, there were plenty of opportunities for this team to just lay down and roll over for this bowl game. And so... I do credit them for taking care of business and making it look like what should happen when a 10-2 team plays a 7-5 team. But there were a lot of distractions. 
this could have gone down really, really easily. So I do credit everybody for holding it together. You had all kinds of distractions. You had the chip long leaving distraction. You had the the all the logistics of having a new offensive play caller and how the timing and how all that was going to go. You had that distraction. I don't know if Brian Kelly was drinking when he was in Orlando, but he offered up a few things that would have backfired on him had this not turned out that way. For instance, volunteering that he let the team stay out late a couple nights. That's not a big deal to most people. Most people understand these kids go to Florida, they're in Disney, they want to go have fun, whatever. But you got to understand the way Notre Dame fans are. Brian Kelly says, oh, we let the guys stay out a little bit later and then the practice was sluggish the next day and a little sloppy. You got to understand, if we, if we lost this game, all that stuff would have been magnified and blown up and thrown in his face. But they didn't. So it's fine. It's all good. And I mean, you can laugh at that, but I know how Notre Dame people are. And I know how I am. You say, oh, I let the guys stay out a little bit late. And then it, it trickles out that the practices when they first got there weren't that sharp and things were kind of sloppy and loose. Those are the kind of things Notre Dame fans hold on to. And if this game didn't go this way, would have been blown up. And so all this stuff was going on. Good job for them to just take care of business, get this win, wipe the slate clean, and let's look forward to the next year. That's the best we could do. That's what we did. And what? A, here we go again. What a big surprise. It's another game and another episode where I'm going to get up here and say, Clark Lee's my hero. I would jump off a cliff if it meant keeping Clark Lee at Notre Dame. Okay, I would give body parts to keep Clark Lee at Notre Dame. Iowa State's last loss of 20 or more came in 2016 against West Virginia. They, they gave up 68 yards of offense to Iowa State the entire second half. The last time Notre Dame held a bowl opponent to no touchdowns was the 1993 Cotton Bowl. I say it every episode, I'm going to say it again. Clark Lee is the undisputed all-star of the staff. Notre Dame needs to figure out a way to keep the guy around. And, and so that's the deal. You got to find a way to keep Clark Lee around here. You just do. I don't care what you have to pay him or whatever. You got to figure out a way to do it. You just do. The guy is an all-star. He's getting his defenses to perform great. Great. And the defense, you look at this entire year, the defense was the thing we were worried about. We thought the offense was going to be lighting it up and replacing all these linebackers and everything. Clark Lee's got this defense rolling. It's borderline plug-and-play at this point, giving up 18.5 points last year and almost the same exact amount this year after all those personnel losses. Nothing short of impressive. The guy's an all-star. Notre Dame needs to keep him around. But through all this, there's a big lesson to be learned here. I talked off the top. I do the little tip-off lead-in before the introduction song. And, and I talked about the frustrations of the fan base not being excited about this game. And I imagine it's not the bowl game a lot of these players wanted to play in after this year. There's a lesson to be learned here. And that lesson is when you're Notre Dame, you learn the hard way. You cannot afford to lay an egg. 
it will be used against you with all the forces that it can be. That's why you end up 10-2 and two playing a 7-5 and five team in a third-rate bowl game. Okay? So that's the lesson here. Nobody's happy with this bowl game. The players wanted something bigger. Don't lay an egg against an arch rival you hate. And the fan bases hate each other. Laying that one egg, that was it. So that's the big lesson here. And I hope everybody around this program learned it and learned it well. That's all it took. Didn't matter that you had five blowout wins after the Michigan game. It was over that night in Ann Arbor. We rattled off one close win the week after it, and then five games that weren't even close, and we moved up one or two spots in the rankings and ended up in this game. So the proof is there. You cannot lay an egg at all, especially in primetime against a hated opponent like Michigan. You cannot do it. That's why I said that loss will linger. That is not, oh, you had one bad game. We all move on and things are fine and people forget. I didn't forget. And that stupid committee of nerds in a boardroom didn't forget. They used it for all it's worth, out of sight, out of mind, Notre Dame. Didn't matter what we did. Obviously, we were done. You can't do it. Not when you're Notre Dame. So that's the lesson here. And so something, I tweeted this, I think last night, and after everything settled down, after the playoff games, in which we're going to get to on the back end of the show, and, and what I tweeted was, it's such a weird position to be in, and where Notre Dame's put itself the last three years has firmly divided the fan base. They have done and accomplished almost everything a team could do in three years, except for all the most important things a team can do in three years. Think about it. Three double-digit plus win seasons, 11 wins here, 12 wins in a playoff appearance last year, defending our home turf all this time. All this kind of stuff's great, except for the things that get you over the hump. Winning a major bowl game, performing, I'm not even going to say win a playoff game, Perform respectable in a playoff game. Beat a team that you're not supposed to beat. Right? So that's, it's just, we're in such a weird space. And the thing about it is, I feel like everybody's starting to kind of feel it. Like, like okay, you know what a good example of this is? A good example of this would be the pathetic trophy presentation after the Camping World Bowl and you get that goofy trophy and there's like this confetti coming down and it just happened to be on our TV, you know, after the game and everything and it, it's it's almost laughable because it's the Camping World Bowl and Brian Kelly's been here over a decade now. You ain't playing for the Camping World Bowl trophy anymore. And I just think we're getting to the point where everybody's starting to agree on that. We're not in this for a Camping World Bowl trophy. There has to be something more. And I just kind of feel that. I feel that vibe that everybody's kind of like, okay, all right, 
time to turn the corner here, okay? Like, let, let's get this baby ramped up. And the recruiting classes we have coming in are obviously encouraging. And that's a big reason a lot of people have, the, including myself, have the arrow pointing straight up moving forward. And so you did what you should do. So that's what it looks like when seven and five plays 10 and two. That's what it should look like. That's what it looked like. Now, I do have a little bit of a problem with some people overreacting to this and going crazy over it. I don't, I, I don't, I don't get that. I, is it because it's a bowl game? Because here's how I look at it. Let's just say Notre Dame had 13 regular season games, and the last one was against a 7-5 team. People wouldn't be reacting this crazily like we just won the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Some people on Twitter, I just can't handle it, acting like we won the Super Bowl. No, you did your job and beat a 7-5 team the way you should beat a 7-5 team. So you did your job that week. I'm not going to make it bigger just because it's a bowl game. You you were 10 and 2. You should beat the hell out of 7 and 5. And you did. So cross it off. Good job. Let's move forward. I'm not going to throw a party over beating a 7 and 5 team in this bowl game. I'm not. But this this trophy presentation really got to me. I'm sitting there watching this confetti fall. I'm seeing a decade of Brian Kelly and we're holding up a tent, a metal tent. So I just feel like everybody feels it's time to ramp this baby up. I'm done with these bowls that don't mean anything, don't do anything, don't gain you anything. That's over. I think everybody feels it. I think everybody knows it. I think everybody's mad we ended up in this position, and I like that. That's just the vibe I feel. I don't know why I'm saying it. I just get this feeling that the entire program's ready to ramp up, take that next step. The recruiting stuff the next two years is a big part of it. Ironing out the details of this coaching situation is the other part of this. And, and so when we get into that part of this discussion, I don't know how, how much can you really take out of Tommy Reese's partial tryout here? Because that's the big thing everybody's looking at. And I just don't know, I don't know how much you could take out of it. I saw Brian Kelly with the play sheet. He was involved. And then it's like, I, I even... People wanted to see a bunch of different stuff from Tommy Reese, from Chip Long. I don't know if that's fair to judge because how much do you realistically think was capable of changing in a three-week window where you're Chip Long's out, who's going to call the plays, all this kind of stuff. I don't think it was very realistic to expect to see a totally different dynamic offense and all this different stuff. And I, I just, I don't think that was ever realistic. And so I don't know how you could judge Tommy Reese on this performance. I don't know how much control Kelly had over a lot of what was going on, whether he did or didn't, I don't know. Um, and, and the short time frame for the turnaround, like, I just don't think it's fair to judge it that way. But I do know this, and I said it before, this is an absolutely critical hire. Here's why. 
Right now, that Notre Dame defense is pretty damn good. Should be able to compete with anybody. You got the defense to that level. I'm waiting for the offense to match that. It's your turn now. The defense has done their part. They're turning in 18 and a half points a game last year and this year. That is a really, really strong defense. As of the bowl game ending, Notre Dame was ninth in the country, yards per play allowed, turnovers forced fourth, pass efficiency defense fifth, scoring 12th, chunk plays allowed, that's 20 yards or more, 10th in the country. This defense is good enough to win with. We need the offense to step up their efficiency and production to complement this defense. Do not end up in a situation like the Bears where you're going to waste these good defenses because your offense can't score enough to compete. Now, I'm not talking about the 10 games you won against 10 rosters. You have more talent than. I'm talking about when you play the better teams on your schedule. We average 15 points a game, and that ain't good enough. So what they do with this offense, offensive staff moving forward is absolutely, to me, the deciding factor of whether the next two, three, four years are going to be elite or a waste, where you win 9 or 10, lose to the two good teams you play, and we end up pitching a tent again the next couple years. So you have to get this right. I haven't heard anything as far as rumors of them interviewing any other coordinators or any of these hot takes with names. I haven't heard any of them. It would seem to me that it's Tommy Reese's job. That's just, I just haven't heard anything otherwise. That's the path of least resistance. It just seems like a Kelly move. So I don't know whether that's good, bad, going to work out, not my preference is an established guy from the outside who runs a good offense. He's got a track record of running good offenses. He's got a track record of having a good recruiting pipeline. I want fresh eyes on the offense. That's what I would prefer personally. I just, I don't know if we're going to get it or not. That would just be my preference. I would just feel more comfortable doing it that way. That's just me. So I don't know what they're going to do. The other part of this is, the last I heard, there wasn't going to be a change at the offensive line coach with Quinn. I am still in the I'm still freaked out that we ran it for 46 yards in one big game and 47 yards in the other big game and lost them both. I am gravely concerned about that. The last I heard looked like Quinn was coming back. So in the offensive line coach position, fine. If that's what they want to do, fine. I'm just telling you, there's two things Notre Dame's not winning anything major without. An elite quarterback, no, not good, not better than average, not pretty good. I said elite quarterback play in a power running game when you, one, need to, and two, want to. Those are the two things. And those are just, to me, critical factors in what this is going to turn into. Don't waste all this skill, speed, athleticism, and talent coming in here with the boring offense. Don't do it. 
You're going to have all these toys to play with. Put them in a position to where they could be explosive. That's what I'm looking for. No matter what the names are, who the coaches are, I need this offense to get up to the level where the defense is and put this thing together. A double threat. So as it goes for Reese, I, I just don't I just don't think this was a big enough window of time for him to do things different he wanted to do anyways. I just can't judge him on this. And I don't know how heavily involved or not Kelly was in everything that happened in the bowl game. So I, I just don't have enough to make an opinion on Reese one way or another right now. I just don't. And so I, I just had a couple, getting back to the actual game, just a couple bullet points of things that I absolutely loved. One is Clark Lee. I'm in love with the man. Uh, so that's number one. Two, Aloe Gilman with this. Listen, you know my love for special teams play. You got the ugly, boring, predictable three and out to start the game, of course, which drives me nuts. Get the ball first, go three and out with a month to prepare. I don't understand it. I hate it. And then you punt, and Aloe Gilman rips the ball out. It's absolutely beautiful. It warms my heart. I love to see it. The kid never stops. The other thing is, Awusu Karmoa is a future leader of this defense. He's emerged this year. Uh, it's He's a freak athlete. It, it's He's going to be the leader of the middle part of that defense. And I absolutely love it. And I applaud, actually... Everybody in that linebacker group, that was one of the biggest question marks coming into the season. And here's what we ended up with from that linebacking group that everybody, including myself, was very concerned about. Between Bilal, Drew White, and Owusu Karmoa, 239 tackles, 31 and a half tackles for a loss, seven and a half sacks. That's getting it done. That's production I can rely on. So, I absolutely want to come full circle on this linebacking group who was a big concern in the offseason and say, under Clark Lee's tutelage, these guys are going to be fine. I love Awusu Karmoa taking charge, being the leader in the middle there, moving forward. It's a great job and way to turn one of the preseason question marks into something I can rely on. That's something I want to see more from the offense. What can we rely on? What do we do well? What do we know we can accomplish? And I also want to highlight my absolutely favorite part of the entire day, and that was Tony Jones Jr. Just facepalming that guy into next week. Happy New Year, buddy. Because everybody knew Jones didn't have the speed to get down. He ain't Dexter Williams, and he ain't Chris Tyree. He wasn't getting all the way down that sideline without somebody on him. The way he absolutely played and clowned that guy into the new year was my favorite highlight of the day. Absolute stiff arm to the face. Get out of here. You're not bringing me down. Drag the guy 15 yards. Love it. Love to see it. I do have a question, though. As much as I absolutely love it, how come they never call face mask on the offensive guy, push hands to the face on that? Like, trust me, I loved it. It was my favorite play of the game. But why is that only on the defense if, if it's hand to the face? I don't understand that. But I'll take it, 
and I loved it. And it was a thing of beauty and it had me jumping out of my chair. So I absolutely love to see it. Favorite play of the game, just hands to the face later. See you in the next year. The other thing I have here in my notes, obviously, is Chase Claypool. I mean, he's just, he stood out all year as an NFL player. You don't even have to be a Notre Dame fan to watch and just see that guy. That's a dude. Like, you just, if you watch enough football, you just turn it on, you know, that's a dude. And he's a dude. He's an NFL dude. And, and you love to see it. He is something you can rely on all year. Um, they just need more of it on offense, starting with the offensive line, in my opinion. However, just an absolute stud. And what I'm most impressed with is the way he can contort his body to adjust to where the ball is and make a play on it. It's impressive. That's something you can't teach. That's something guys just have, and he has it, and it's impressive. But that's another reason why... I never understood why you didn't give him more chances to do that. Like an example, we get the ball with just enough time to go down the field and win the game against Georgia. You can't take one of those downs on the final drive and just have Claypool run down the field and throw it up and let your best player win the game for you or get a PI or at least knock the ball. Like I trust Chase Claypool that if Book just heaves it down the sideline, something good's going to happen. That's worth one of those downs in that final drive against Georgia. I can't understand why we don't take those shots that you see everybody else in the country take with their best athlete. That's the frustrating part about this offense. I don't feel like they used the best guys they had enough. That's one instance. And here's, here's something else, too. And this ties into a theme I've been talking about for a while now, and especially every time recruiting comes up. Look at guys like Boykin and look at guys like Claypool. Here's my frustration. I'm frustrated that by the time I'm saying, man, these guys are awesome NFL guys, by the time I have time to wrap my mind around that, they're gone from Notre Dame and they're in the NFL. That's the frustration I have. Why are guys like that not giving two, three, four years of this kind of performance and then they go to the NFL? I don't know if that's just them developing slower or not getting chance enough chances to play when they're younger but it's a frustration of mine that by the time these guys are great, they're gone. I want guys that are great in years two, year one, Kyle Hamilton. I want these guys that are, you go, holy crap, that's an NFL guy. And I want that for two, three, four years for us before they go to the NFL. That's the difference here between us and these other teams. They're NFL guys. They're performing in college for one, two, three years at that elite level, then going pro. I'm getting frustrated with our best guys doing it for one year, and then they're gone. So that's the turn I'm hoping to see with this influx of talent in the 20 and 21 classes. I need more Kyle Hamiltons that could get out there and play elite football for us for multiple years. Not one, one and a half, one in a bowl game, and then they're gone. 
We need more of them guys. And more of them are coming. It's just a matter of if they're used right, if they're given opportunities to compete early. Chris Tyree needs to be out there day one. Jordan Johnson needs to be out there day one. Depending on what happens with Cole Komet, that tight end mayor needs to be out there day one. I'm not saying taking all the snaps, but they need to be competing because they're an elite talent. Now, I do have some bones to pick because I'm me, and that's what I do. I have some bones to pick with one, two, three narratives that I saw on social media after our bowl game. I have three bones to pick and three, I, I just, the logic people are using in these three arguments, I see them as completely and totally flawed. And I know Notre Dame fans run a wide perspective, loving Brian Kelly, hate Brian Kelly, love Ian Book, hate Ian Book. I love Tommy Reese, hate Tommy Reese. There's a lot of opinions, but these three things kept coming up, reoccurring all weekend on social media, and I got a problem with all three, so let's go over them. Here's number one. Number one is the gentleman over at Irish Illustrated. Now, if you're, if you're listening to this show, you probably are familiar with Irish Illustrated. They're the guys that get the inside access. They're, they're what I consider inside, in-house Notre Dame media. They're the ones that get to go to practices. They get to do all the interviews um, behind the scenes. They see a lot of stuff in camp. We don't see spring practice. They are one of the main conduits from the fan base to what's going on in the team when the public can't see it. Long time, guys. They do a good job. I'm hard on them sometimes because I don't feel that they're hard enough on the program when they need to be. But again, it's a tricky situation. They don't wanna, they don't wanna make anybody mad. They wanna maintain their access, make sure they keep getting these interviews and get, it, get invited to closed door practices. So they can't always go as hard as somebody like me, who's not tied to the university in any way can go. I'm hard on them for that, but they do a good job for what they do. And so before this bowl game, Tim Priester, a longtime guy, I respect the hell out of his work. He was saying that the word is the practices were kind of sloppy when they first got to Orlando. Things were disjointed. Things weren't flowing. It was just choppy and sloppy. And it didn't seem like everybody was engaged. And then it came out that Kelly let the guys stay out late. And maybe that's why they were dragging the next morning. I don't know. So he reported that before the game on Twitter and on his podcast saying it's, you know, the word is that the coaches are kind of concerned because the practices haven't been that sharp. Fine. That's his report from what he saw and what he heard. Then you have the game. We win the game by a lot. Then you have an onslaught of people attacking Tim Priester saying, don't you feel stupid? Admit you were wrong. You, you know, you said the team wasn't prepared and they blew him out and you need to admit that you were wrong. And why are you so negative? And, you know, you were totally wrong on this and we're calling you out. I'm talking an onslaught 
of tweets directed right at Tim Priester and Irish Illustrated saying, admit you were wrong about this team and their prep for this game. I 100% totally disagree with that. I think that's totally, totally wrong of anybody to come at him with that. And here's why. It was always certainly possible that the team didn't practice well and still beat the hell out of Iowa State because they're a 10-2 team with more talent and the other team's 7-5 with less talent. It was always possible that they were still going to play well. You could practice bad early in the week and then tighten it up and then be ready to play or still not be that sharp and just be better athletes than them and win this game. So in no way was him reporting what he saw and was told a direct correlation to what was going to happen in the game. The guy was just saying what he told, what he saw and what he was told leading into it. That's his job. It doesn't make him wrong that he reported it. Just because we went out and played well doesn't mean that what he said was wrong. And you know what this proves? All these people piling on this point proves to me that there's so many people around this program that like Notre Dame, they can't handle anything negative at all. They just can't handle it. They can't emotionally handle any criticism of this program at all. I couldn't believe the number of people going after these guys for just reporting what the coaches told them. The coaches were concerned about it. And he reported it. Just because we played well doesn't mean he was wrong. These are people that just can't handle any criticism of Notre Dame at all. And I couldn't believe they were piling on Tim that way. Oh, you were dead wrong. Admit it, admit it, admit it. Tweet after tweet after tweet. No, he was not wrong for reporting it because that's what was going on then. You know what this is similar to? This happens to me all the time. When you live tweet these games and the games are going on and you're all caught up in the moment and you're reacting play by play, I will say something like when we go three and out and right away three and out in this ballgame with three and a half weeks to prepare, that offends me. You got three and a half weeks to prepare and then you go three and out, give me a freaking break. That's garbage to me, in my opinion. And, and I'll tweet something about that. And then we score all these points and blow them out and Tony Jones makes a long run. And then somebody will comment about my tweet from three hours earlier saying, oh, yeah, cold, hot takes exposed, you know, look at this. You are dead wrong. Yeah, things changed. My tweet applied in the moment it was happening. It's not really fair to take something three hours later when you have more information and then say I was wrong. What I said was accurate when it was happening. Then three hours more of information came. That's how Twitter works. You say what's going on in the moment and then things change. More information happens. But I get that all the time. Oh, where were you on this one, hot shot? Oh, yeah, look at this. Well, yeah, 
Three hours later, I wouldn't have tweeted that. But the time I did, it applied. So people are way too eager to do this, aha, I got you, I nailed you, you're wrong type stuff. And the way they went after Tim Priester was wrong. It's wrong. He reported what he was told at the time. That never meant they couldn't play well in the game. It just meant they practiced sloppy earlier in the week. So get a grip. So that was number one thing I had a problem on. I don't stand up for those in-house media guys often, but on this one, I definitely did. Here's the second one. Now, this one requires every hoop you could jump through in your magical unicorn leprechaun Notre Dame land. I just don't understand. Like, what did you roll up and smoke? Gold leprechaun flakes for somebody to have this take? I don't understand. I had multiple people tweet this, both in general and directed towards me. And that was something to the effect of, where are all the Brian Kelly haters now? Look at how great we played in this game. I don't see anybody ripping Brian Kelly today. Look at this performance. I saw a bunch of those tweets and had some directed at me. I for the life of me, cannot understand the blatant lack of perspective it would take for one to have that thought. So somebody says to me, where are all the Brian Kelly haters today? We blew out this team. Look at this. It's great. I sit here and think, well, wait a second here. Why are we in this stupid bowl game nobody wants to be in and that's a no-win situation for Notre Dame? Oh yeah, I know why. Brian Kelly couldn't get his team emotionally prepared to play against Michigan. That is his fault and is the only reason he's in a position to blow out a five-loss team in a bowl game nobody cares about at Disney World, the Mickey Mouse Bowl. Like, am I the crazy one here? When I see somebody say, where are all the Brian Kellyators now? You're winning a bowl game you should never be in. And the only reason we're in it is because of our failure to win the big games on our schedule. This is all connected. That's the thing. When this is all going on, you got to always look at the big picture. That's the problem I have with a lot of this stuff. You got to look at that. You can never lose perspective of the overall goal. I don't live in this world where the Camping World Bowls today, that's all that matters. I block out all the other games. They're all connected. It all matters. The only reason we were in a position to blow out this team in this bowl game is directly due to the failure of us to perform against the two good teams on the schedule. And I can't get over or forget that fact. Yes, I'm glad we blew this team out, but that's what should happen when 10 and 2 plays 7 and 5. That's what should happen. The overall thought should be everybody should be mad we're even in this game to begin with because we laid an egg in Ann Arbor. And that's on Brian Kelly's lack of ability to prepare and properly motivate this team. 
So I just, I look at that tweet and I laugh when somebody tweets, where are the BK haters today? I'm, what are you talking about? We're only in this position because of Brian Kelly. So I get it, man. It's the holidays. Everybody just wants to feel good, man. You're off work. You're with your family, your friends. You don't see all the time. You want to have a couple drinks, watch Notre Dame and the playoff games. Feel good. I understand all that. But when this was going on, I kept thinking this bowl game, when it was going on, I keep thinking to myself, this team deserves to be tested way more than this. They really, really do. This was a team that deserved to play Florida tonight. Not to be in the Camping World Bowl. But that, that night in Ann Arbor did it. That night in Ann Arbor did it. That's why. And, and so I, I just, it's all circular. I understand people just want to feel good for a day. But I always tweet this and take major crap for it. I always say, you must never lose sight of the overall goal. And the camping world bowl ain't it. It ain't it. It's just not. And so to be on the Brian Kelly high horse about how much we won the camping world bowl by, you also have to say, why are we in the camping world bowl? It's all connected. It's all connected. And that's really, along with the talent coming in, in the next two classes, along with getting the coaching staff aligned that's going to be able to take the offense to the next level. We already talked about my concerns with offensive line in the running game and with this offensive coordinator position. But one of the biggest factors is Brian Kelly's ability to motivate these guys. I have enough evidence to show he doesn't do a good job of it. He doesn't. And I just, you know what I've been really struggling with lately? I've been really thinking this in my brain. I don't know if Brian Kelly could change that. If you've been motivating guys a certain way this long, it's obviously not working. I've seen enough. If you want to throw Clemson out because they had more talent, fine. The Miami game was totally inexcusable in 2017. The Michigan game was totally inexcusable this year. Total inability to motivate and prepare properly to play those games. Did not match the intensity of your opponent either time. Okay? If Brian Kelly doesn't figure out a way to motivate these guys, all this talent in the world is going to get wasted. That's coming in, I'm telling you. And what I've been really fighting in my mind is, is the question of, do you get to a point where you have enough elite talent that they just might be able to overcome Brian Kelly's inability to properly motivate and win a big game just because we're going to have more talent than we usually have? I've been asking myself that because I think I want to say yes to it. But in my heart, I know that at Notre Dame, I, I just think it's different at Notre Dame. There's unique challenges. The players are tested off the field in different ways than other places. I just think there's times where the Notre Dame coach needs to, to rally the guys. Doesn't have to be win one for the Gipper, but you look at the way Lou was able to uniquely motivate those teams. I think that's a skill a Notre Dame coach has to be good at 
and it's hard to measure. But I've seen enough that I know what they're doing now hasn't worked. And I just don't know whether the talent itself is enough to overcome that. But you got to find a different approach for these big games. And so anyways, I got off track there with the where's where the Brian Kelly haters today. Well, I'm still asking why you didn't motivate your guys in Michigan that led us to this meaningless game. That's where I'm at. And here's the third one. You knew it was coming. This has caused some issues. Ian Book's coming back. And uh, he put out an Instagram post announcing he was coming back. See you in Ireland where we play Navy to open next year. So a couple things come up. I mean, I sarcastically asked, he's coming back. Where the hell was he going to go? He's not an NFL prospect. And I highly doubted he was going to grad transfer out and go, what is he going to go to Oklahoma and be the next guy to do that? And so I got some feedback from that. And Ian Book's one of the guys who did not like Chip Long at all and was considering some sort of move if they didn't do something. These guys did not like Chip Long. They just didn't. And so he's coming back. So then what that triggered was a bunch of people loved it. Okay, Ian Book's back. This is great. All, all we've been uh, complaining about is not having a quarterback in the system long enough to develop over a few years. That's what everybody's wanted. That two-year Brian Kelly quarterback curse type thing. Well, now you're going to have a guy coming back for his third year. So you got half the people who are excited about it, and the other half saying he's already kind of reached his ceiling. We want to see what a guy with higher potential could do athletically like Phil. And so that's kind of these two factions that are going at each other with the Ian Book announcing he's coming back. So this brings up a couple questions. Obviously, number one is, it wouldn't surprise me if Phil leaves. Now he's going to go on three years holding a clipboard. The kid wants a chance to play and compete. So I haven't heard anything. I don't know anything. But if I get on Twitter one day and it says Phil's in the transfer portal, I'm not going to be surprised at all. The kid's a great athlete, has a way higher athletic ceiling than Book. He's not getting a chance. I wouldn't blame him if he went and played somewhere. I really wouldn't. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Wouldn't hold it against him a bit. Kids want, want to play. And so he's coming back. And, and then I start getting messages saying, well, John, all you say is that you want a quarterback to be in the system for a few years so they can ramp up and develop and build. Now you have that and you're still not happy. Well, yeah, my response to that is the kid that I want to do that has to have an elite ceiling. That's the difference here. Not a kid who's going to win you nine or ten games and then lose the two against the good teams you play every year. I want that linear year-to-year building three years in the program with a kid whose ceiling is elite. Does anybody really think Book's ceiling is elite? I respect the hell out of the kid. He's tough. He's smart. He's gritty. He plays hard. He gives his heart out for Notre Dame. But he's not half the natural quarterback Lawrence is at Clemson. Not half. Not half the player he is. 
And that's not a knock on book. It's just he's never going to be elite. And so it's frustrating for me when people are like, John, now you're not happy. This is what you've been asking for. A quarterback in the program a few years to develop. Yeah, but it has to be one who's going to develop to elite. That's the difference. Ian Book's never going to be elite. He's going to be really good. And then I get thrown back at me. Look how good he was in the last six games of the year. That, that's what people are saying to me. Look at how good he was those last six games. And my response is, oh, you mean all the ones after the season was ruined? Those are the ones? Those are the ones I'm supposed to be in love with? The ones after your season's goals are ruined? Are the ones I'm supposed to get excited about? Come on, people. Come on. But that's what I'm getting. Oh, look at the last six weeks. Been, been fantastic. I need Notre Dame's quarterback to play their best in the biggest games against the best teams on the schedule in the biggest environments with the most on the line. Not the other nine or ten games where we just have more talent. I'm sick of being called a jerk for expecting Notre Dame's quarterbacks to play good in the biggest games. That used to be what Notre Dame was all about. And now I'm called the bad guy when I inquire as to why Notre Dame's quarterbacks don't play well on the biggest stage under the brightest lights. Like... Am I crazy here that I expect the Notre Dame quarterback to play well in the biggest games? And I'm expecting too much, but I'm supposed to get excited about all the ones after the season's ruined. I'm sorry. Yes, it's better than losing another game. I love what we did, but all with the caveat. The caveat is... We already blew our chances for the playoff, lost to the two best teams. This is all disaster avoidance, not excitement building towards something. There's a difference. Once you're out of the playoff race, it just becomes embarrassment avoidance. Don't lose again. So I got problems with that narrative. I got problems with that narrative. And the next thing people are going to say is, well, John, you know, this is going to be, these last handful, handful of games are going to be the ramping point for Ian Book to take the next step and start throwing the ball down, feel better, and do all these things. My response to that is, that's what we were sold last year, going into this year. That's what we were sold. This is the year he's going to take the next step in this dynamic offense. And then you scored 15 points average in your two biggest games of the year and lost them both. And he looked, it was the worst game he's ever played in as a college player against Michigan. So, so now you're going to be sold that going into next year. So now I'm supposed to think next year's the year where he goes to Lambeau field and beats Wisconsin. And then God forbid they find a way to be competitive when Clemson comes to town on November 7th. So I just, 
I do, we're just kicking the can down the road here, in my opinion. I, I thought this year was the year I was told Ian Book was going to take that next step to close to elite. And so th- this entire discussion frustrates me. I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate everything Ian Book's done. He's reliable. He's durable. He's good enough to win you 10 games. Uh, the 10 that are against the teams, you're physically better than. But I need a guy to get us over the hump. Beat a team you're not supposed to beat. Surprise somebody. Upset somebody. That's what I need. So I don't know. But next year, it's going to be Ian Book. Phil will probably leave. And then it's going to be Pine. And then Buckner after that. You have to figure it out. But this whole quarterback thing is annoying to me. Talking about people coming back or not. Cole Komet said a long time ago he was coming back. And now it sounds like he might not. And he probably won't. It's kind of a big deal. I would kind of ask why you announced you were coming. I did that on the show. It came out. He said he was coming back. I didn't make it up. But if you even thought there's a possibility you wouldn't, you probably shouldn't have said you're coming back. So that'll be a huge blow to the production of this offense if he does leave. He got a second round grade. It was the highest grade for a tight end. He might leave unless he wants to come back for baseball. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I know I... I Breathed a sigh of relief when he said he was coming back, and now it doesn't sound like it's happening. So I don't know. All right. Let's, I just want to talk a few minutes about the playoff games. I have a couple thoughts. So here's one. This LSU thing, I, I don't know what's going to happen to them in the championship against Clemson. I, I just don't know. But what I will say is the Burrow story is a good story and the kid had a hell of a year. You know, it sucks for you if you have to go to the Bengals with the first pick or whatever. Hell of a year. I really, what I love most about the LSU story is the genuine familial love that Coach O and those players have for one another. You can literally feel the camaraderie and you know they're all playing for each other. They'd run through a wall for each other. They love that guy. He loves them. They just have some magical going this year. I don't know if they could take it all the way, but it's really been a good story to see. And it that's what it looks like when you're all gelling together and everything's going great. You're all vibing together. It's just fantastic. So that's what I think about them. When it comes to Oklahoma, we need to have some serious discussions. Oh, we can never put Notre Dame in. They got blown out in the playoff. I'm never letting them get in again. Yeah, well, what about Oklahoma? What about Oklahoma going 0 for 4, getting their doors blown off worse than Notre Dame? We're going to put them in every single year. I'm sick of this garbage. Why do they get a free pass? Just because they're in the, a conference? Ooh! Yeah, I really respect the hell out of the Big 12. I'm sick of this disingenuous garbage. They're 0 for 4 in the playoff. Got beat worse than Notre Dame more than once in the playoff. And we're going to put them in every year because they represent the best team out of one of these conferences. 
Notre Dame's 0 for 1. Nobody wants to put him in again. Blackball him. It's garbage. And the only reason, the only reason nobody's as hard as on Oklahoma as they are about Notre Dame, even though they're 0 for 4 and we're 0 for 1, is because of that stupid conference crap. The entire system's built to accommodate those Power 5 conferences. And they kiss their ass even when they don't deserve it. So, just get used to it. That's why I say we can never afford to lose one game, much less two. Because you're not going to get any breaks. They're going to keep putting Oklahoma in just to keep kissing these Power 5 teams' asses. Because the whole system was built to make the Power 5 conferences money. It's garbage. Start holding them accountable. We're never going to put them in again. That tweet Bruce Feldman had last year, some college coach texted me, Don't the, doesn't the committee look at the talent and know Notre Dame has no business being in the playoff? Why did they waste a slot by giving them a slot? Why are people saying it about Oklahoma? It's total disingenuous garbage, and it's only happening because they're in one of these fancy conferences. One of these fancy Power 5 deals. Who cares? How many chances do they get to get blown out and mocked? But no big deal. Herbie Hancock, or whatever his name is, is going to get up there, push his glasses up next year, and say, oh, well, we got to put Oklahoma in because they won the Big 12, which is garbage. So for Notre Dame, you just need to know. These guys are looking for a chance to boot your ass out of any game or playoff or bowl game that matters. You can't lose. That's what it comes down to. We cannot lose. You got to force these people's hand. But I'm sick of this garbage that it's, oh, Notre Dame, never give them another chance. This team gets to fall flat every single year and they get put in again. So yeah, Oklahoma really represented the Big 12 great. Hand them out a slot every single year. And then you got that mighty Iowa State team. Oh, their five losses are by one point total. Where'd that get you? Forget that stupid conference. Moving on to Ohio State Clemson. Here's the deal. When Ohio State was winning, what I was saying is the only benefit of them winning is it makes Michigan people upset. I hate Ohio State too, but not as much as Michigan. So if they won, that's how I was going to feel good about it, knowing that it hurts Michigan people. Now, yes, it's unfortunate that a lot of that game changed and momentum changed on officiating calls. Here's my thought on these calls. They were probably legislated correctly by the letter of the law, especially the targeting one, which was changed everything. It was probably executed by the letter of the law. My contention then is you need to rewrite the law. Rewrite the law. That kid didn't intend to do anything bad and he's kicked out of the whole game and it changes everything. You got to adjust that. 
And the one with the fumble, the, he caught it, and then he fumbled it. They let it go, and then they reversed it. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, if I had a big dog in the fight, I would, I'm would. i sure I'd see it one way or the other. But I'm not sure I saw enough there to overturn what was on the field, but I don't know. If I had a dog in the fight, I'm sure I'd find a way to see it the way that benefits my squad. So it's unfortunate that officiating becomes such a big part of this. But here's what I've come away with. The best possible scenario here is for Clemson to win the championship, go into next year ranked number one, win all their games until November 7th at Notre Dame Stadium. Listen, whether they win the championship or not, we're going to be underdogs. They're going to have a loaded roster. They're going to have a quarterback that's going to be the number one pick in the draft when they come to town next year. All that's going to be true, whether they win or not, in a, in a week. So my theory is, let them win, have this huge winning streak. If we're going to be huge underdogs and they have the talent advantage and the better quarterback, which is all going to be true no matter what, I'm figuring, why not have as much as possible riding on that game? What does it hurt? You're already going to be the big underdog. Nobody's going to pick you to win. You probably won't. So why not make it this big, huge thing and have that huge winning streak coming to town November 7th with you with a chance if Brian Kelly can find a way to motivate the squad to do something big on the national stage. So I hope Clemson wins. I want them to win all their games till they come to South Bend. It would be a big story, and it would just be a big deal. So that's what I want to happen. I'm not saying we're going to beat them November 7th, but why not have as much on the line for it? You're already big underdogs. Pile a 40-something game win streak on it. Why not? So that's my thought. All right, let's let's uh, let's do an always annoyed. And this is something I'm sure you've all experienced, and I kind of uh, experienced it a little bit over the holiday. It's always bothered me, and I hate it. This applies to work and like social gatherings, Christmas, all this kind of stuff. If you are sitting there hacking up a lung, coughing up phlegm. It sounds like a, it, it sounds like there's eight gallons of liquid every time you talk, you're wheezing, you're hacking up a lung. You need one of those surgical masks. You ever see the people like in the airport with the surgical mask on their face? And I don't know whether they got a problem they don't want to give me or they don't want to get a problem from the outside. I just know I don't want to sit by that person on the plane that has the full mask. If you're that sick, just it's it's just stay home. Stay the hell home. Nobody misses you that much, especially at work. And then it's a family gathering. It's like, well, I wouldn't have missed this for the world while they're hacking all over the dessert tray. Go home. Go home. We'll send you a card. We'll send you a card. I don't need you hacking and coughing. Oh, that's a weird-looking cheese you put on that cracker. No, Sandy just sneezed on it. Stay the hell home if you're that sick. 
Listen, I'll send you the gift card I bought off the Kroger rack last night. It's not that big of a deal. But no, the entire day I gotta just think to myself how annoyed I am that there's this hacking in this coffin. And it's just we're going through rolls of toilet paper blowing our nose. The Kleenex factory staying open thanks to this family gathering. We're hacking up a lung. We're coughing. We're talking about how shitty we feel. Why are you here then? Well, I wouldn't miss Christmas for anything. Well, thanks, but now everybody else is going to miss the next two weeks of work from catching the emphysema you just gave us. I think I got COPD just from, just from the holidays. It's just, I'm sorry, I just can't stand it. We're hacking up along and then we're preparing all the food, breathing on it, touching it. Come on, stay home if you're that sick. So I'm sorry. That's just my little thing. I just, I just, I just stay home, man. Just stay home. It ain't worth it. Nobody wants to see you that much if it means they're going to get sick to do it. I'm sorry. Maybe that's just me. I know I'm a jerk, but I'm just saying. So, all right. That, <laughs> that's my always annoyed. I'm sorry. I just stay home if you're sick. Nobody else wants to get it. Stay home. It's not worth it. Oh, I wouldn't miss Christmas. if Even if I had one leg in the grave, I wouldn't miss Christmas. Come on. All right, that, that's enough. So anyways, listen, have a good, happy new year. Don't drink and drive. Don't be some idiot. Just, just, just after 22, it's not worth going out for New Year's. It ain't. And even if you're just like, hey, I'm going to go out for dinner with my significant other. Yeah, you better do that at about 3 p.m. Because everybody in the world's got to go out for New Year's. I just assume stay home. Everybody drinking and driving, acting like idiots all night. Don't do it. It's just not worth it. That being said, I'll talk to you next year.